Let's open our Bibles this morning to Leviticus chapter 11. I know what you might be thinking. You're thinking, well, I remember last year I read the Bible through in a year and I got to Leviticus and, and hey, boy, it was hard. And there were just sacrifices and do this and don't do that and do it this way because if you don't do it this way, then the Lord won't be happy and, and he'll, you know, you'll be toast. Um, all those things were there and are there for a particular reason. And we'll see them in just a moment. So we'll, we'll read the passage I'm after in just a moment. So let's pray first. Lord, as we come here today, remind us of who you are and the life you call us to live, that our lives might be demonstrations of your holiness. Bring your Holy Spirit to open our eyes to your word today that we may understand and live it, we ask in Christ's name. Amen. Now, um, I grew up all my life in the, in the Pittsburgh area, and it wasn't really until I moved to Wilmington, North Carolina, that I began to understand barbecue. Um, now, up north, for those of you who are from the north, you understand that the barbecue up there is really, if you had some leftover pot roast, you'd chop it up and throw it in with some craft barbecue sauce and try to mingle the flavors. Or you might get some, and this is, if you know this, there's a special place in heaven for you, some chip chop ham. Anybody know about that? Uh, Isley's, you get it from Isley's. Anybody know Isley's? All right. Anybody ever have a Klondike? Okay, Klondike's came from Isley's originally. Okay, so and then you throw some sauce and, and heat it up and throw it on a bun, and that was barbecue. Then I went to Wilmington, where barbecue is its own food group down there, and and I learned that barbecue is pork butt. Now, really, pork butt is not here on the pork it's up here on the pork and I don't know why they call it a butt and I don't want, really want to know but it's good if you cook it right and real barbecue is you, you you take it and you you take your secret spice rub because every good barbecue cook has a secret spice rub that you don't want to tell anybody about and there's something in there and you rub it and you're talking nice to it and you get it all all happy there in the rub and then you put it on the smoker for at least eight hours because no good barbecue has been smoked for anything less than eight hours and all that connective tissue begins to melt away and then you pull it out after it's been done slow and low and you can rip it or you can chop it and you the best time to eat it is right then, okay? And you got the bark on the outside. And, 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 and so when I got to Wilmington, barbecue is coated in a vinegar-based sauce that is mostly vinegar and salt and red pepper. Don't make it in your own house. We made that mistake once and followed the recipe and you put like vinegar and salt and red pepper in it and then you have to cook it and boil it a little bit to, to really gather the flavors. Well, we couldn't even see in the house. Our eyes were watering. We went and opened every window and every door we could find, and we were coughing and choking. You want to do it on the burner on your grill outside, okay? That's what you want to make that sauce. Well, that was, that was my first exposure to vinegar sauce there. And, it, oh, it was love at first bite. I want to tell you what. That really was. But as you move across North Carolina, you get into mustard-based sauce, and then as you get to western North Carolina, you get a red sauce that becomes sweeter and less spicy. 
Uh, and then, of course, here, uh, this is the only place I know of that you have white sauce. Uh, usually that's for chicken, but I've seen people put it on their, their barbecue as well. Well, this delicacy of barbecue was not enjoyed in the Old Testament. Okay, it was not enjoyed in the Old Testament. And that's what brings us to Leviticus chapter 11. Uh, and there are particular reasons why in Scripture it was not enjoyed. So if you're able, uh, please stand with me. And we're only going to read a little bit of 11. Um, turn to chapter 11, verse 43. Okay, We'll go back and skim through the first bits, but I'll read this. Uh, Leviticus chapter 11, verse 43. Do not render yourselves detestable through any of the swarming things that swarm, and you shall not make yourselves unclean with them so that you become unclean. Clean and unclean, it's very important. For I am the Lord your God. Consecrate yourselves, therefore, and be holy, for I am holy. And you shall not make yourselves unclean with any of the swarming things that swarm the earth, for I am the Lord who brought you up from the land of Egypt to be your God. Thus you shall be holy, for I am holy. Now this is God's inspired word for us today, so please be seated. Now we understand that the first, really, the first ten chapters of Leviticus... (coughs) all deal with atonement, okay? And atonement was so important uh, that God here is is willing to save his people. He is willing to extend himself down to his people whom he has made a covenant with and return them into his presence to atone for their sin. And we see that he can bring back sinners into a relationship for himself, but sin must be atoned for through a sacrifice. And we understand that that sacrifice, all the sacrifices of the Old Testament, ultimately point to the perfect sacrifice of Christ. And then, beginning in chapter 11, the Holy Spirit begins to describe our need for grace, our need for atonement, and the effectual, effectual sacrifice and substitute. So in an effort, I think, to create in, in the minds of his covenant people and in our minds today a real sense of the corruption of our sin, uh, the Lord provides these dietary laws. And these laws were binding upon the nation of Israel throughout the Mosaic period, okay, throughout the Mosaic period. So chapter 11 lays the foundation for the nation of Israel to be distinct, to be distinct from the nations around it. These things would constantly be before their minds throughout each and every day, requiring constant attention to what they ate, what they touched, what they didn't touch. Why? Because they were to be holy. The reason that they were to be holy is because their Lord God was holy as well. They were to understand the difference. If you flip back a page to chapter 10, verse 10, And so as to make a distinction between the holy and the profane, between the unclean and the clean. Okay, and as we, the easiest description of this is we get to the New Testament. Remember, uh, the lepers had to walk around yelling, unclean, unclean, lest anyone touch them. And Jesus threw everything into uh, a mess when he went up to the lepers who, in, in Mark chapter 1, who, who wanted to be, you can heal us, you can make us clean. And Jesus moved with compassion, went, and he touched the unclean leper, which, according to Jewish law, would make him unclean. When in reality, the leper was healed. 
Okay, so th this is what we see, clean and unclean. Now, the Lord gave these dietary laws to Israel and, and nobody else because they were his distinct people. And, and because their diet was so strict, uh, that nation could never really enter into a relationship with any other nation. Uh, understand, the Canaanites would eat anything. They would eat things that had been killed by dogs, and they would eat, even eat the dogs themselves. That was a no-no for Israel. Uh, the Jews couldn't really eat at the table with the, the Arabs, their closest kinsmen, because the Arabs might be serving camel. They would eat camel. I, I've seen camel. I, I'd never eat camel, okay? Um, but the Jews could not. An obedient Israelite would be kept from any close association with their pagan neighbors. He could not worship with them. He would not intermarry with them. He certainly could not eat with them or touch some of the things in their household because it would make them unclean. I mean, really, we think in our own, own lives how difficult it can be to live with somebody who's not like you. Okay? We'll go back to North Carolina. To live in a house with somebody who wants the red sauce on their barbecue and you want the vinegar sauce... I mean, grounds for divorce. So let's review a couple things out of the first 43 verses. We won't read them all. I just pick and choose. Uh, go to verse 4. And here are just some examples of, of the extent that the Lord goes to to make sure that his people are separate from the pagan nations around them. Chapter 11, verse 4. Nevertheless, you are not to eat of these among those which chew the cud or among those which divide the hoof, the camel, for though it chews cuds, it does not divide the hoof, it is unclean to you. Likewise, the rock badger, though it chews the cud, a rock badger looks like a little bitty uh, rock badger. Uh, I, I've seen them, and then suddenly they, 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 they hang out, they don't, look, they don't look like our badger here, okay, they look a little bit more like a... Uh, a ferret or something like that, and they live up in the rocks, okay? Uh, though it chews the cud, it does not divide the hoof, it is unclean. Verse 6, the rabbit also, for though it chews the cud, it does not divide the hoof, it is unclean to you. And the pig, uh, this is the bad thing, okay? For though it divides the hoof, thus making a split hoof, it does not chew the cud, it is unclean to you. You shall not eat of their flesh, nor touch their carcasses. They are unclean to you. So Moses takes uh, quite a bit of time here to, to lay out some examples Chewing the cud, not chewing the cud, split hoof, not split hoof. Okay? And then it goes on to verse 9, some water animals. Uh, these you may eat, whatever's in the water, everything that has a fin or a scale, uh, those in the water and the seas, the rivers. And then there are some distinctions about what you can't eat from the water. And, of course, this goes into, in particular, the shellfish and those things which are on the bottom. Uh, whatever's in the seas and in the rivers that do not have fins and scales, among all the teeming life of the water, and among all the living creatures that are in the water, they are detestable things to you. They shall be abhorrent to you. Do not eat their flesh. Do not eat their carcasses. You shall detest it. Okay, that kind of puts a damper on any uh, fried shrimp, po'boys, fried oysters, you know, all those types of things. That's, uh, that's out Okay, and then it goes into the flying animals, what you can and can't eat out of the flying animals. And jump down to verse 20, and, and it, it, you know, it goes through all these things. You can't, eat, you can't eat this, you can't eat that, back and forth, back and forth. And then verse 20, all winged insects that walk on all fours are detestable to you. Your mother told you don't eat bugs. Okay, yet 
These you may eat among all the winged insects which walk on all fours, those which have above their feet jointed legs and which jump on the earth. These of them you may eat, the locust in its kinds, and the devastating locust in its kinds, and the cricket in its kinds, and the grasshopper in its kinds. Okay, so you can go out and eat grasshopper or locusts, um, and you know, they would come in, in the plagues in the millions, and what do you do with the leftovers? That's Old Testament barbecue, okay? You roast them up and you eat those. And then, we won't go through all this, 24 through 40, he deals with a variety of clean and unclean animals and their carcasses, okay? And it's very important that you, and here in Leviticus, that you don't come in contact with something that is dead. And we'll see illustrations of this in just a moment. And anyone who had come in contact with something unclean, whether it was a food or a carcass, made them unfit for public worship. Okay? It wouldn't be like um, um, you're on your way to church and you uh, run over a roadkill. Okay? It's already been killed and you run over it. And, and it, according to this, you'd probably have to go back home because now you're unclean. Okay, because you were, you were in the car and the car came in contact with it, so shame on you, go back and get cleaned up. Okay, and that would be spiritually clean that he's talking about. And the basic idea for this is God himself is holy and he calls his people to be holy. He is clean. He is perfect. His essence um, is without defilement and any uncleanness is death. So what is clean and what is unclean must be kept distinct. Now healthy creatures were considered to be clean. Unhealthy creatures were considered to be unclean. Remember you were to bring a a lamb without blemish to the altar, without blemish. And we see that as Christ is the perfect spotless lamb to atone for sins. Now you say, well, okay, Rand, these these are all grouped in in a specific way. You've got the hooves and the split hooves and the cuds. Why are they like this? Well, there are three attempted explanations as to why this, they, are, they are divided this way. Uh, some consider this to be hygienic. Okay, well, maybe pork was so bad and, 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 and bad for you at that time with diseases and parasites, they said, don't eat it. No, it's not quite that way. Some have suggested that the animals that were seen as unclean were all worshipped by the pagan neighbors of Israel. So they were to be considered unclean by Israel. I, I, I don't agree with that one. And some simply have said, which I agree with, Israel was different. And the Lord wanted to highlight that they were different. And the Lord wanted to make sure that it was very difficult for Israel to have a close association and relationship with any of its pagan neighbors. Now why? Whoa. Because it's easy to see, it doesn't take long when Israel interacts with its pagan neighbors before that nation of Israel begins to take on the practices and worship practices in particular of their pagan neighbors. They become corrupted by that. Remember, Joshua is charged with going in and killing everybody and everything. Okay, some nations or some cities were to be completely devoted to the Lord. Nothing was to survive because the danger was that would corrupt the people of of God's God's chosen people. 
Um, and we see plenty of evidence that they fell into idol worship as they began to develop close relationships with their neighbors. They gave up the dietary laws, etc. The nation and the people of Israel to, were to be a witness to God to the nations around them. They were to demonstrate holiness in the way that God told them to demonstrate holiness. Not in the way that they wanted to, but in the way that God told them. So you can imagine how difficult this would be, or even burdensome, on their way of life. Now let's try to translate that into our way of life today. Um, on my back door last summer, as soon as, as it got dark, there was this little bitty lizard. And you know, it's got like the suction cups for toes or whatever. And it, it hung out on the window of my back door. Well, you know, if you open the door and weren't paying attention, that thing would drop down and run into the house. And then more than one occasion, I scooped it up and threw it back out. But he seemed to like our house. Uh, so what happens if in your house, one of those things gets in? Okay, and it crawls up on the, book sh on the bookcase in your living room and, and gets up there on one of your books and uh, expires. Okay? And you don't know it because it's a little bitty thing. You didn't even see it come in the house. And there you are, you reach up, and you, it's, it's once a year, who knows, and you're going to clean the bookshelf, and you grab the book, and you pull it out like this, and off falls this little lizard carcass. Well, the lizard carcass happens to fall into your $500 water for crystal bowl. Okay? What do you have to do if you're going to live according to this? You've got to throw the bowl out. You have to destroy the bowl because it has been touched by something that is unclean. It has to be destroyed. And uh, guys were thinking, well, that bowl was always a problem anyway. I never liked it. Um, so guys, you go out and you're going to grill. Okay? And here you have invested, <clears throat> you've got the stainless grill out there and it's got a smoker in it and it's got a rotisserie and it's got you know you make your sauce over here on this burner and you uh, uh, do something else on this burner and inside you've got the radiant heat and and everything and, and you just invested a mint in it and you open it up and there's one of those dead lizards inside what do you have to do with the grill out because it's become unclean because it has touched something that was unclean. So you see the problem here, that they had to be so careful with how they lived, that they crossed the T's and dot the, dot the I's, so that they could be demonstrators of holiness and separateness to the world around them. Well, why? As we read in verse 44 and 45, Thus you shall be holy, for I am holy. Their holiness was based on God's holiness. Now, it's very clear from the New Testament that this system of being distinct from the world has been abrogated by Jesus Christ. Let's look at just two examples. Go to Acts chapter 10. And remember, he did not come to abolish the law and the prophets, but to fulfill the law and the prophets. So we get the clear impression from Jesus, I can't say impression, it is clear from Jesus' teaching that it is not simply what you touch and don't touch, it is the status of your heart. Okay? He called the Pharisees whitewashed tomb, tombs. They looked great on the outside, but inside they were dead. So we come to Acts chapter 10, and this is Peter's dream. Uh, begin in verse 10. <clears throat> 
And he became hungry and was desiring to eat. But while they were making preparations, he fell into a trance. And he beheld the sky opened up and a certain object, like a great sheet coming down, lowered by four corners to the ground. And there were in it all kinds of four-footed animals and crawling creatures of the earth and birds of the air. So those, the clear indications, those were the unclean ones in particular. And a voice came to him, Arise, Peter, kill and eat. Peter said, By no means, Lord. For I have never eaten anything unholy and unclean. And again a voice came to him a second time. What God has cleansed no longer consider unholy. And this happened three times and immediately the object was taken up into the sky. A clear indication that those laws and those things have been abrogated by Jesus Christ. They have been fulfilled. Okay. Now turn back to Luke chapter 10. And this is really the the application of what we see in Peter's vision. And you'll know this. This is, this is one everybody knows, but we need to go and just review it one more time. Luke chapter 10, beginning in verse 29. But wishing to justify himself, he said to Jesus, Who's my neighbor? Oh, who's my neighbor? And Jesus replied and said, A certain man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers, and they stripped him and beat him and went off, leaving him half dead. And by chance, a certain priest was going down on that road, and when he saw him, he passed by the other side. Why? God might be dead. I mean, I'm a priest. I'm on the way to the temple. I've got stuff to do. If I go over and, 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 and you know, turn the guy over to see if he's alive and attempt to care for him, I might find that he's dead. And if he's dead, I'm unclean. What is it? Discretion is the better part of valor? I just leave him there. Okay, I'll move on. I've got stuff to do. Likewise, a Levite also, when he came to the place and saw him pass by on the other side. Again, if I touch the guy and he's dead, I'm unclean. And that, you know, puts me out of worship, puts me out of uh, interaction with everybody and with my family. Um, So he says, I'm I'm just not going to take that chance because I have to follow the law. I have to be clean. Uh, Forget the guy who's... In terribly in need, I have to be clean. And then a Samaritan comes by. Remember, just to review, the Samaritan and the Jews did not get along. Okay, the Samaritans were considered half-breeds. If a Jew was on a trip, he would go around Samaria rather than going through, so he wouldn't have to come into contact with anybody. They just did not like anyone, uh, each other. But a certain Samaritan who was on a journey came upon him, and when he saw him, he felt compassion. Remember this word. This word is not pity. This word is not uh, mercy. This word stems from your liver, your intestine. It is that it's not moved by the heart. It is moved by something here in your gut. Uh, it's the same word when Jesus touches the lepers. Okay, it is it is it is something far beyond. Oh, I think I'll do a nice deed. It is something that comes from deep within, moved by compassion. And he came to him and bandaged up his wounds, pouring oil and wine on them. He put him on his own beast, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. Okay, he just didn't drop him at the doorstep. 
He bandaged his wounds. He cared for him. He brought him in. He took care of him. And on the next day, he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper and said, take care of him and whatever more you spend, when I return, I will repay you. Now, this is all in response to the question, who's my neighbor? And Jesus says, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell into the robber's hands? And he said, the one who showed mercy toward him, go and do the same. Okay? But, but what if it makes me unclean? Okay? What if it takes me somewhere that I don't want to go? What if it takes me to the wrong side of the track to, to show mercy and compassion on people that I don't particularly like or don't look like me or sound like me? I mean, we have to face it. If we are going to live the things of Christ, if we are going to demonstrate the holiness of God in our own lives, we have to get our hands dirty in ministry and in people's lives. We have to intermix with people that are not like us, people that we may have in our own minds considered to be, well, let's make me unclean. No, that makes you holy as you live out the things of Christ. So to demonstrate the things of Christ, you've got to get messy and you've got to get dirty, and maybe your heart has to be broken as you pour it into somebody's life and they turn around and walk away. You may have to get your lip bloodied because you're being merciful and compassionate and people don't like it for some reason. But this is the illustration of who is your neighbor? The guy who's in need. But what if it makes me unclean? It's, just, it's not unclean. This is what holiness is. Jesus says no longer are we, considered about, are we concerned about touching this and not touching this. We're concerned about the compassion that, that, is, that comes from the things of Christ within us and drives us to act in these ways. Jesus is saying now it is not the do's and don'ts that make you holy. It is moral obedience and actions of holiness that now demonstrate what God has done in your lives. So what makes us distinct today's, in today's world? We don't really have uh, food laws, what we can and can't eat. We don't have clothing laws. I mean, yeah, you don't wear a bikini to worship, okay? Especially if you look like me, okay? But there are, there's, you know, is it, you know, it is our clothing. All these things are to reflect the inward change that has happened within us, okay? How are we to be distinct in the world today is the lesson that of Leviticus 11. It's hygienic. Is it health-related? It's holiness-related. It is holiness-related. And Jesus and Paul and Peter and Luke and Mark, the author of Hebrews, they tell us over and over again we are to be in the world but not of the world. And that is a balance there. And it's not easy. Sometimes we'll, we'll go overboard either way. But we are to be distinct, not in legalism, but in holiness. Do I eat and drink for the glory of God? Do I dress for the glory of God? Is my conversation geared towards the glory of God? Am I being compassionate to those in need, whether they look like me or whether they don't, whether they act like me or not? Is there a moral quality which is distinct in us that the world can point to and say they are different. Do our lives 
reflect the holiness of God? Is there something about us which keeps us distinct from the world because of our commitment to the holiness of God? This summer in Sunday school, I told you this was coming, we're going to study a book by Jerry Bridges called Respectable Sins. Ooh, that's hard. (laughs) Respectable sins. They're sins, and they're respectable, but they're sins. But they're sins. We are to be holy because our Heavenly Father is holy. And we are to consecrate ourselves, not in order that God will choose us because we're good enough, but because he has already laid his grace upon us, and our lives are to reflect that grace. God is holy. He has saved you and changed you and given you his Holy Spirit. What evidence do you have in your life that demonstrates this to the world around you? Let's pray. Lord, you are perfect in every fashion. You are holy and and in a way that we we cannot comprehend in our finite minds. And we know that we cannot be holy in the same way that you are holy. But yet you call us to holiness. We, in our own efforts, cannot be holy. But you give us the Holy Spirit to empower us to say, you can do this, and I have given you the power to live this way. Now do you have the will to live that way? Lord, you call us to something completely different than what the world sees as important. But you place us here in this world to live things out that will sometimes be unpopular, to live in a way that will sometimes make us detested or hated or put us on the outs. And sometimes, Lord, even it will come down to a decision, will I obey you or will I obey the law of man? And it's very clear I have to obey you. In these things, Lord, we pray that we would be wise, that we would be gentle, and our actions would be moved by compassion. You have extended yourself to us and placed this grace in our lives through the work of Jesus Christ. You call us to holiness as a reflection of who you are. Lord, in the coming days, open our eyes to this, open our hearts to this, that we would not only see and understand, but we would also live it. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.